0: Hello, and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scots Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back, and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip, and he does. He scores. Oh, what a great backlash. He did it. Oh, boy, Andre. Wiggling his way, and that's an excellent ball there, It's a goal. Four for five Excellent play by Hughes. I think the square of the match, and swiftly finished by Kennedy. Welcome to part two of our podcast with Craig Brown where we're chatting through a copy of Shoot Magazine from the 1st of November, 1980. Let's jump back in and continue with Craig. So across on the next page, we have Tartan Talk with Derek Johnston, and the heading says, when I beat Jim Watt. So it says, world lightweight champion Jim Watt was in serious trouble recently, according to Derek Johnston. Derek says, we were both taking part in a pro-am golf tournament, and yours truly walked off with a glittering piece of silverware with a round Jack Nicholas would be hard-pressed to emulate. I showed my prize to Jim, and quick as a flash he said, it's good to see a Rangers player winning something. Now, Derek, Derek mentioned that he's also recently just passed his driving test, so now he won't have to rely on others to get him around. In fact, he was struggling with all the travel from Dundee to Rangers by train when he first moved there, and it was beginning to get to him. The, there's a photograph with this as well, and it includes uh, shows C- Colin McAdam bulleting a header and against Aberdeen at Ibrox, and we can see in the background that the, the 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 terrace in there has all been ripped down, and it's a bit of a, a work site at the moment. So this was obviously just as the rebuilding uh, was gone. And then, I'm trying to get it
1: on my screen here. right? Mm. I see it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It just looks really really strange to see it like that. It does indeed. This is this is a. Uh, this is Derek Johnson. Derek Johnson, yeah.
1: Derek's, Derek's a, a, a legend at, uh, at Rangers. He's a smashing guy and a, a lovely storyteller. If you get him in your, in your program here. You will be
0: entertained. He's a, definitely on the wish list. Um, I mean, right. the, the very fact is that he's this tartan talk feature with him. I don't know how many years it lasted, but it seemed to have been there for an eternity. And well, yeah, was it? it's great, great, well, great for a story. Aye,
1: well, I'm sure he would be, because he's always got a story, <laughs> uh, like Derek. and, he, and, and he, he's the nicest guy and the most humble too, you know, the, you'd expect when you go to, he's in the boardroom, when you go to uh, Ibrooks now, there are one or two ambassadorial jobs uh, around the football club, and Willie Henderson's got one of them, and Derek Johnson's got another, and Richard Dorff's got another, so you see the old timers of my era uh, there, Willie, Willie, for example, Willie and I signed, say, Willie came at the same time as I did to, to Rangers. Uh, McKinnon, Henderson, Davy Proven and myself and, and three of them made it and this other one <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get rid of him but mm. you know they were, they were good boys and good players. Uh, now Derek came after that, he's a bit younger but he was outstanding as a striker for Rangers and still is very well uh, respected at the football club because he's He's wearing the blazer and
0: he's shaking hands with everyone on the match day. So what we're saying is he gets in for nothing. So we we look at the next one here and we come to something that mentions yourself here. So this is Simpson's Spur for McWilliams. And the article says, David McWilliams, the current Clyde goalkeeper, is trying to prove that keepers improve with age. At 30 years old, he's still one of the most consistent number ones in Scottish football. McWilliams says... Craig Brown is such a knowledgeable manager that everyone wants to play for him. He's dedicated to this club and we try to do likewise on the pitch. Clyde fans haven't had an awful lot to get excited about in recent years but every player at Shawfield is determined to do something about rectifying that situation. Promotion is the main aim and I'm anxious to play my part. And he says he'd love to play in the Premier Division before retiring. I would love to do that with Clyde. McWilliams' career highlight was playing for Airdrie in the Scottish Cup final in a 3-1 defeat to Celtic five years previous to this magazine. Paul Wilson put two past him, but McWilliams says, We were never outclassed in any way by Celtic. It was 1-1 at one stage, but Celtic got their second shortly after an equaliser and it took the wind out of our sails. And he's pictured there with um, quite a bushy beard and unkempt hair. Uh, just as a wee spoiler on the season, Clyde, this season you finished 8th out of 14 teams this season on 40 points. Now, looking at the table, it was interesting. It was Queen pa- Queen's Park that won, but between the 8th position and 2nd place was only 6 points between them, so it was a really, really tight league, um, and it was okay. 2 points for a win. Uh, Queen's Park won the league in 50 points. They won 16 and drew 18 of their 39 games, which is just incredible that, you know... you. Just under half of your games, you've drawn and you've still went on to win, win the league. That just shows you how tight it was that season. Aye, the, the league's were tight.
1: I was about to say to you that we were the only part-time team in the league, but that can't be the case if Queen's Park were there. I know that when I was at Clyde, you know, I was nine years at Clyde and uh, uh, there was a time when we were the only part-time team in the, in the league we were in, you know. Now, uh, but Dave, uh, big David McOwen was a very, very good goalkeeper. Big, powerful, terrific build for it. And he mentioned a the game there, Airdrie, in the cup final. Well, that rings a bell with me because I was the assistant manager of Motherwell and we played Airdrie in the semi-final. <laughs> and he was and he was the goalkeeper of Airdrie, right? right? But our goalkeeper was uh, Stuart Rennie. And Stuart Rennie, you, you could hardly believe this, overcarried the ball. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen it again. He, he, he had, you know, you're only round four steps then. So he he took more than four steps. He overcarried and an indirect free kick was given mm-hmm. inside the penalty ball. And uh, I don't know, the two full backs John Quinn and Cal- Caldwell, George Caldwell and Paul John Quinn. And I think Caldwell knocked it to John Quinn and he scored the indirect free kick, got them into the final that beat Motherwell. Now, that's that's the every team he's talking about. But he was in that every team. Then I got him to Clyde. He was a very good Clyde goalkeeper. Now, that's that. This is this magazine's nineteen eighty. We won the league the next year. Yeah, I think.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you were n- nine points clear the next season. So, right. so Queens Queen's Park would have went up this season, and then so it might have been this right. season coming the season after that. You're thinking yeah, about well. you were the only full time or part time team.
1: Right. Well, we were, we were, we were uh, what, what, what did they say? We were regrouping. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were getting ourselves, get our act together. Yeah. Uh, so that we, we got up the next season. Uh, but uh, Big Davy, I remember him well, the smashing goalie. And and I I signed him because he was available and I'd seen him play for Airdrie so very well against Motherwell when I was the assistant manager of Motherwell. Because Airdrie were in the, the top, there were only two leagues, am I right? I'm not sure in that, at that time. Maybe it changed. Maybe it changed to another three leagues. But but uh, when we played the semi final of the cup, Davey was the every goalie. And and uh, but our goalkeeper over carried, and that was it. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of him. We had uh, Dennis Cronick in, in goal. Uh, we had uh, John Arrell was probably the one that was longest with me at Clyde. I had several goalies, and when I ran out of goalies, one time uh, the goalie injured Paul uh, uh, Kearney. I, I, we had the uh, Paul Kearney in goal. Uh, we had a goalkeeping crisis, and I got Bobby Clark out of retirement. He was forty. Play, and one of the games was against the Bankies. And I'm 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 actually frightened to say this because <laughs> because I think I think they scored five goals. <laughs> and Bobby wouldn't me for saying it. I need to check it, but but Bobby played. I think he played four or five games for us. Mm. The, one of them was at Hearts at Tynecastle. And hearts must have been the way they are at the moment because uh, he had a clean sheet at time Castle against hearts, and the hearts were in our league at the time. And then, but I think the Bankies came to, to Glasgow and scored five, so I'm not saying any more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Four of them were offside,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, on, on the same page, um, it's there's another article, and it's tough talking Clooney shakes up Saints. So, this is Jim Clooney at St. Mirren. And it said,
1: We're oh, talking all
0: the time. Yeah, it says, Jim Clooney is not a man to mince his words. The St. Mirren players have been left in no doubt what he demands from them in every game. After a 1 0 loss to Partick Thistle, he said, If I see my players giving their all until the final whistle, I will be satisfied. We've been making chances, but not sticking them away. When you stop creating chances, you know you're in trouble. Now Clooney led Saints into Europe for the first time in the UEFA Cup when they beat Elfsburg 2-1 in Sweden. On that game, Jim says, I don't normally single out individuals, but Jackie Copland and Doug Sumner were outstanding. I was particularly pleased how the team responded to letting in an early goal. The article also mentions the move of ex-St-Marin player Ian Munro to Stoke City. He was on his way to sign for Alicante before it fell through. Peter Weir and Billy Abercrombie are also mentioned in the article as exciting talents in the Saints team. Now as a wee spoiler, St Mirren finished this season fourth in the league on the same points as Rangers. Now Jim Clooney was was sacked in November 1980, so he was actually sacked the month that this magazine was published. After a 2-1 victory over Celtic at Celtic Park, Ricky McFarlane, the physio, took over. Apparently, the reason for his sacking was allegedly that he had offended a director's wife on a flight home from St Etienne where he swore at her. Now, I don't know how much is true in that. You probably know a bit more about that than myself, Greg. <laughs> no, I don't, actually.
1: I don't know about that. i, I, I first heard of that, but yeah, <coughs> I know Jim Clooney and uh, uh, I, I don't know what club he was managing. Maybe it was Kilwarnock. The club he was managing in 1980 when the World Cup was in Spain. And I'll tell you why. Because the SFA or the or the SFL, one or the other, I'm not sure what it was, the League or the Football Association, took all the managers free of charge to the World Cup. They took us to, to Spain. And Jim Clooney was next door to me. We were, again, we were uh, roomed alphabetically. And Jim <laughs> was next door to me, right? But maybe just by coincidence I think he, he, I think he was I another command manager at the time. but anyway, uh, the drill was that the, before we went out at night, this was when there wasn't a game on the nights there wasn't a game before we went out at night we met in a room on the ground floor and it was Benny Rooney's room and they called it Benny's bar because you took <laughs> your own drink <laughs> to Benny's room and you put it in the, uh, in, in, the, in the what do you call it the kitchen bit of the room. Benny had a lovely room, big room, and you know, you'd walk in there at night and you would see bottles of this and bottles of that, and <laughs> bottles of next thing. Water. So, Willie McLean was across the corridor from me, and 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 well, he said, We'll have a bottle of white wine, right? We'll go easy, we'll have a white wine. And so, I'll never forget this. Uh, I put the white wine into my bidet and put cold water in it to cool it because it was <laughs> yeah. we were in, it was roasting hot. We we're staying in Puerto Banus and yeah, I remember the Andalusia Hotel, I remember it vividly. And all the managers were there. Uh, uh, And of course, the team, Jock Steen had the team and Jim McLean was with the team. So the rest of us, including uh, Alec Ferguson, wasn't with the team at that time. Uh, And he he was there and Archie Knox was there. So all the the manager pals. Next door to me was Jim Clooney. So I put this bottle of wine. It was a litre bottle of wine. To do that, that that's to do the tour. It was McLean and myself. We'll have this white wine. And I put it in the biddy and I ran the biddy tap and I left the plug so that the water was running right through. You know, it wasn't mm. very economical with regard <laughs> to the water supply. Yeah. But anyway, it was to keep it cool, and I run it through. Now, obviously, the bottle must have dislodged and moved and jammed the, the plug hole. Aye. So then the water wasn't getting away, so it was coming over the side of the... Yeah, <laughs> over the side. And, and, and my home like, right next door to Jim Clooney's. So, of course, I, I didn't... We must have been away for a couple of hours, and this water will be running for a couple of hours. I've been admitting this, Brian i never said this before. And the water's running over the, the beady where it was cooling to keep it cool for the drinking at night in Benny's Bar. And, uh, of course, we came up, and I couldn't believe i come up and the the, the, the room, the carpet, there was a carpet in a wee bit of the room, but it was, you know, the mainly the marble floors, and there was water everywhere, you were squelching through the water. And well, uh, I had forgotten who was next door, Jim Clooney. Well, the next minute, there's a knock at my door. Yeah, that one. I have never, ever had such a roasted language <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and then he says, You're a skill teacher, an effing skill teacher. <laughs> well, I just thought that. Knee brains, nee brains, what? brains. How the hell it?" And I said, well, Joe, you know, and I was trying to explain what I'd done and the bottle had dislodged. Him. Well, I've had many a and many a blast from a manager and from a parent or from an adult. But I have never had such a rollicking as I got from a It was nothing to do with football. <laughs> the water had got through the, the wall into his room and he was squelching about in his room. <laughs> at the side of the, at the side of his bed, so I wasn't too popular with Jim Pluney, but he uh, always remembered that story and he always said he he's cooling any bottles of wine recently. <laughs> 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 well, I well, I've got a BD to cool them. In. Mm. Anyway, so that's not to do with football, but it, it, the man the man was a warrior, and I was I was petrified you know woolly McLean's a small fella and i'm a small fella and he was blasting the two of us a couple of idiots yeah Jesus, so and so on, so and so on, so and so anyway so i would i would imagine if he had to reprimand a player in his team when he was a manager i think it would have a bit of a rollicking the player would get because i got it from you know, for football but yeah if it was affecting his living i think it would have been even worse
0: so so basically what you're saying is you can believe that he swore at the director's wife
1: Oh, I, I'm, quite, <laughs> I, I'm quite sure he could. Yeah. <laughs> I think the director's wife could
0: have heard him. It's worth a basic. Do you know, one, one of the interesting things I found out, was, we've already spoke about substitutes or lack of substitutes, but he was actually the first player to be substituted on in Scottish football. And oh. he, re- he replaced Archie Gemmill against none other than Clyde in August 1966. So I thought that
1: 66, was... 66, yes. Yeah. Aye. There were, aye, there were no substitutes before that, mm. that's right. And then it was, first of all, it was for injury. Yeah. Uh, was, well, for injury, alone and the uh, and then it became two substitutes. But then it was getting abused, so they said, for any reason. But it, it had to be for injury initially.
0: So he was the first, was he? Yeah. As I say, after 23 minutes, he replaced Archie game so that suggests... Injury, yeah, but what's your thoughts on how it's went now? So it's almost like soon it's going to be you can replace your whole team the way the number of. Uh, I think
1: obviously it's it's exceptional because of the the coronavirus, Mm. you know, but before the virus. I think it was still too too many. I'll give you an example. If you're an international manager, not now, but even when I had the job, you actually had more players on the bench at a tournament than you had on the pitch because you took twenty three players to a European Championship or a World Cup. So you've you've got twelve players not playing, so you've got twelve on the bench and you've got eleven on the pitch. So that's a that is a major management problem, mm-hmm. you know, keeping these guys happy. Maybe the hardest training session I've ever been asked to take. I was over in Mexico, and Alex says to me after the first game, they had played the opening game in the, against Denmark, I think it was, and one or two got a knock, and they put on the subs, and Charlie Nicholas, he got he cemented. He got really got assaulted in that game. Denmark. And yeah, Denmark. And he, and he said to me, take those that didn't play for a, a session. Now, obviously, every sub had been used, and so therefore, I have got, at that time, a session, a training session with about seven or eight players just now you don't, get, there's not the same body in the group when there's a small number like that, so later on when we get the job, when Andy get the job, and I get the job we always took six young players six under 18 international players so that we could always get a, a full skill match, see when, when Alec had them over there in, in Mexico preparing we were in America, New Mexico preparing and they wanted a full skill practice match so Walter Smith had to play <laughs> if somebody was injured, I had to play, you know, uh, Archie Knox, uh, you know, to make two 11-a-side teams, because there always were strains and injuries and what have you, uh, even in the preparation. So it was farcical. I think when a staff member has to play in a game, it devalues the game. Now, even, even if the staff player is an international player. Now, I mean, Smith, Knox and I, none of us was an international player. Fergie was actually Alec played for Scotland. You know, he
2: he did. He went
1: on one of these tours. Uh, 1967 I think '67 tour. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you're, you're clued in, Tom. So Alec was an international player, but we weren't. We were not bad enough eh, players, without to eh, come to try and eh, play with top class, very fit internationalists. So we always took six extra young players to a tournament, and you know, I recommended that to Shelley Kelly and to. To anyone, I would, I'm not saying Stevie Clark will ask me, but if he did, I'd say to him, when you go to the tournament, take some extra players so that you've got a full training session if you need it, and you've got helpers to lay out the pitch and move the goals and get the laundry collected and do that. And these guys were brilliant at that. You know, one of them was Paul Hartley, for example, now a manager. Paul was one of the young players that came with us the other one was uh, Scott Gemmell, Brian O'Neill, the, the young under-18 international boys. It was a good arrangement, that, and that would be the first bit of advice I would offer anybody if he's going to a tournament. Take some young players to stiffen up the squad, and, and they've got jobs to do to help the kit man, to lay out the pit, make sure the table's tidy when they leave it after a meal, things like that. I mean, I yeah, was a wee bit kind of fussy about these things, you know. And, and about, you know, if you look at the Scottish team before the opening game against Brazil and, and France, they're lined up for the anthem. Hey, look at how immaculate they are. Every jersey's in, the stockings are all at the same turnover. There's no tape, white tape in the socks or anything like that. And they're immaculate. And, and they're all singing the anthem because we, we taught them at the Anglos that didn't they know it. We, we had to, Maybe teach them that And then if you if you don't know the words or you forget them, make your mouth go. <laughs> so that it looks as though you're committed, you know, because the camera gets right along. And the you know, and I remember an, an international Steve Nickel was putting tape Around his socks to keep the shin guard. I says, Wait a minute, Stevie, it was red socks we'd on that day at Hamden. And I says, That's unacceptable. You're putting that white tape around Are you a trotting pony or are you a footballer? Are you looking me? You know, I says that is not he says, "Well, we're at Liverpool, you know, and and we've got red socks, and we can we can do that at Liverpool. We put the tape, and is Stevie, this is not a pub team, Liverpool. You're playing for. <laughs> this is Scotland. This is Scotland. You're playing for.' You know, well, he smiles, and he got the message, and they took the tape. Off. So, a wee bit of humour helps to get the message over. But uh, why am I? I'm digressing there? a bit. I'm away. Oh, it's substitutions. You no, know, and, and that's another whole. That's another whole uh, session." substitutions, because I say to you and, and I say to Tom and yourself, how many reasons are there for substituting a player? Give me a number and I'll I'll, I'll not ask you, because it's unfair. But I know if I ask that to a group of players or manager or anybody, they'll all say three, four. I'll say, well, let's see how many we can get. And you put your team down and you say, how many reasons are there for substituting a player? Now I can get 11, now 12 for substituting a player. So they always think if you're substituted, it's because... Uh, you're injured or you're on a bad game. I'll not say the word that they usually say. It begins with <laughs> S-H. You know, yeah. So <laughs> they'll say that. But when you when you get a team together, and I always had a team meeting, I said, look, well, guys, somebody who's good at, there's a flip chart, write it up, reasons for substitution, and let's get them down there. And you'll get 11 or 12. And therefore, it's not uh, only for having a bad game or being injured. There are other reasons, or even tactical you know, I, I could go down. I will forget them, but I could go down through them if you want. But it take too long. I'm going on and on. So, but there are 11-12. We had eleven, and one of the eleven, the eleventh one we got. With, I do it with every team I've, I've ever had. The eleventh one we would get is as a penalty decider, and you've got a guy in the bench who's a better penalty taker than anybody else on the pitch. Like Kenny McLean was a perfect example. He was in. He was on the game. You know. But if you knew Kenny McLean, as I do, you would know if you got a penalty kick, Kenny McLean will put his left foot in that and he'll score. So that's what happened. And, but Kenny was on anyway and he was picked. But you no, know, you, you might, the game's getting near the end, it's going to penalties. So you take somebody off that's not going to want to take a penalty and put Kenny on and put him in the penalty taking. But better than that, to give me the 12th reason, was Van Gaal, the big Dutch manager with the Holland team in the World Cup would, it, would it, in the penalty shootout? What did he do? His substituted his goalkeeper because he he's a better shot stopper So you would never think of that as a reason for substituting a player, but it is a reason. Yeah. Another another one is some clubs. You've got to get on. You got to get on to pick not off the bench to get the full bonus. <laughs> no, I'm not manager. Mother, my mother well, we're playing Aberdeen, and this is true. And there. Uh, I like, I like to wind up the Aberdeen people and tell them this. I say we're playing you up at Aberdeen and we're winning three nothing. At Aberdeen we mother. Will. and uh, I look over my shoulder and I say, and, and there's, there's twenty minutes to go and mother and Aberdeen are hopeless and we're, we're three up and it's to Archie Knox, Macaulay, Archie. We'll get the young lads on. No, 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 no. They might score. I said Archie, they'll never score. We'll get the young lads on. Well, it was young lads, Jamie Murphy. Uh, we, 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 Stevie Lawless uh, went to Livingston and then another one another young lad Bob McHugh I think put the three of them on well he'd have thought he'd have given them a lottery win because they doubled their bonus for getting, getting 10 minutes at the end hmm. because they get the full bonus if they went on and if they stayed on the bench they get a half bonus and of course they get on at Petodre. It ended up three-nothing. There was no goal scored in the time they were on. And they were you could tell you you'd given them a boost. You'd given them extra mm-hmm. money, you know, doubled the the, the the half bonus that they were getting for being on the bench. So that's another point you want the boy to get his applause. He's on a yellow card, mm-hmm frightened he gets another yellow and he gets sent off so if you add all the reasons up you'll get you'll get 11 or 12 and but, but i'm going on and on here i digressing but mm. i get carried away when i
0: start no on the listen that that's a really interesting i've never thought of it that way before and i think i'm probably going to go away and try and jot down i'm going to try and get a 13th for you okay <laughs> i would um. love that,
2: that. <laughs> yeah so just before we move on i've found that clyde game you were talking September 18th, 1982, and it finished Clyde 3, uh, Clyde Bank 5. And the uh, Clyde team was Bobby Clark, Davey Ray, Tommy McQueen, Billy McLaren, Paul Flexney, John Brogan, Robert Riley, Jim Docherty, Derek McCutcheon, Tommy O'Neill and Pat well, well, I'm
1: going to tell you something.
2: You must have had some team, if you if you beat that team 5-3. The team was Jim Gervais, Jim Fallon, Budgie McGee, Jimmy Given, Martin Hughes, Bobby Williamson, Tommy Coyne, and your man Jerry McCabe. Well, it was my
1: that made the difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, I remember we lost five goals, and 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 that uh, and and I didn't know I, I had actually forgotten that we'd scored
2: three.
1: Uh-huh. But or, I said that it was five three. He only beat us with two goals. But, <laughs> but uh-huh. that was a great Clydebank team that I had there. Yeah, and nice. uh, and I think. Our team was a good team. Clyde was a good team.
2: That was
0: nineteen eighty-two, <laughs> September nineteen eighty-two. See, I, I, when you were reading through that, I, that sort of that sort of is probably the first Clyde Bank team I saw. I think that's probably when I
2: started going to club. so that yeah.
0: that would have been the team that I saw.
2: You see Bill Monroe
1: the manager was
0: he? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, it was actually yeah. Sam Henderson that day, but yeah, Bill Monroe must have left just before that. All right, because because Bill Monroe was one of the guys that was over with him.
1: The manager's in the Spain. He was in Benny's bar. <laughs>
2: the,
1: <laughs> along with the rest of us. Bill Monroe. The smashing guy, Bill.
2: I was lucky to meet Bill a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's a lovely, a lovely guy, yeah.
1: I can't tell you any lies, you two, because you have oh, the, get the resources there. you get, the, you get the, <laughs> the internet to check and what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. So we're on the, the letters page. Uh, the first one, it comes from... The star letter comes from Douglas Drinning of Presswick. And he writes, Aberdeen are the most refreshing development to in Scottish football over the past few seasons. Their attacking flair and ability to score goals is a pleasure for any fans to enjoy. Finally, the media are accepting Aberdeen as the number one team in Scotland. I think that, that's, a, that's a fair comment at that time, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: well, that's right, because that was the Aberdeen, the nucleus of the Aberdeen team that came on to, to do great things under Salic, you know, to go on in Europe. Win the super cup as well as the, the cup winners cup. So he's right. The guy is it Drennan from Presswick? No. Yeah,
0: Drennan, yeah.
1: I don't know. There's a I thought there's a huge was to do one of the junior clubs, but I don't know that Drennan. But he's he's what he's saying is right. I think we've got to agree that Aberdeen became, you know, a superpower in football at that time. That was due
0: to the one man. Yeah, they just won the Premier League the season before this maggot, so they're they're coming in as champions. But yeah, definitely yeah. well a, you know, a f- breath of fresh air for Scottish football at that point. Uh, absolutely. Um, Next is what I'm going to look at is from Jay Morris from Woodford Green and he thinks it's petty of TV companies to not cover games if any teams are wearing shirt advertising given that there's advertising all around the pitch. He suggests it may actually be a good thing to stop all TV coverage as this may boost attendances. If if he, if he thinks that's petty back then, do you imagine what you would be thinking of the game nowadays?
1: Well, well you, you, You've given me another half an hour there if you want a story about that, <laughs> about uh, jersey advertising, because the first club in Scotland, it was around about the early 80s as well, when we got a letter from the league saying that in junior football, they're allowing it, but it's it's got to be no bigger than 16 square inches. And it's the same in the... In senior football, but if if you're not on television, you can have 32 square inches, right? Now, the first team in Scotland to have a, this is a quiz question, to have their uh, uh, sponsor on their shirt, right across the front of the shirt, There's a, that's a quiz question, I'll tell you the answer.
0: Well, remember that I've, I've read your book, but I knew this before, anyway. And so the first one was Hibbs with Buckta. Hibbs,
1: it, it was Hibbs, Buckta. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, they put it on there because uh, they had a small Bukta
0: mm.
1: motif, you know, just saying that's their kit. Yeah. But then they, they put it in large letters, but then they signed George Best and that was the big thing. So half of Edinburgh was going about with a new Bukta. Mm-hmm. Bukta in the front, Best in the back, number 11. And that was a bestseller. We were the second team in Scotland to have a, and it was a, it was a, B.O.C. B.O.C., British Auction Company yeah. and the, and, and, the story took too long to tell again, but I'll leave you. I'll, I'll leave you. But we had BOC. They had a, a, an explosion at their factory. And I went in, say, you're in disgrace, in the community. If you give the local school, the John Bosco School, the second biggest school in Glasgow at the time, and give our football club a donation, it'll ingratiate you with the, the local community because you're in, you're in disgrace because of that explosion. And they How much do you want? And I said, I had no idea. I said, 10,000. I went to the board meeting. And I said, hey, I'm trying to get sponsorship for the jersey, hey, gentlemen. The vice chairman says, hey, he was Mr Dunn. Sponsor, there's nothing going on that jersey. That jersey's sacrosanct. That jersey's won the Scottish Cup three times. I said, oh, well, that's too bad. And one of the other directors, a professor, Robert Jack from the university, law professor, said, Mr Manager, did you mention money to the British Open?" <laughs> I said, yeah. How much did you say? I said, I had no instruction from the board, but just off the top of my head, I said 10,000. The vice chairman says, "Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I would put BOC in my bare torso for 10000 <laughs> So we got we got the BOC ten thousand, and that was we were we were uh, we were second after Hibs to have a, a sponsor, and of course every club's now got a sponsor, and it's it's very lucrative in some cases. See, the old firm had to have they had to have the same sponsor because they would you know if it was if, if it was one only, and if it was CR Smith. Only on one jersey. Mm-hmm. The, the Half of the population wouldn't use C.R. Smith. Right? So if they both got it, and the same with tenants or whatever drink they put on it, uh, so it used to be that the old firm had to have the same sponsor.
2: Yeah.
1: Otherwise, they were half in their, their business. <laughs> it's crazy, but, isn't it? Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Okay, next one uh, on this page is, it's an ask the expert question and I really like this one David Winter of Richmond wants to know who scored the fastest own goal on record now Shoot's replies say as far as the football league goes I can't trace anyone to better the unenviable fate of Everton's Tommy Wright he scored an own goal against Liverpool in 33 seconds and then another against Man City in 32 seconds on successive weekends I think so yeah uh, you, you would give up football after that, wouldn't you? Just think like, this isn't for me. All
1: right, that's it. That'll do me, yeah.
0: <laughs> that that was March 1972. 33. Se- it, yeah. it wasn't the, the fastest on goal, I think. Um, it was a Bradford City defender, Dave Fretwell, um, scored after 20 seconds. But I think scoring two on goals successively in 32 and 30, right. 33
1: that's seconds. That's incredible. <laughs> no, I know. I can't <cannae> beat that. <laughs>
0: Moving on, before we have a, a little break from the magazine, um, we're going to look at the Celtic spotlight. So it's a uh, spotlight on Celtic and then the team photo. And it's the headline along with it is Billy McNeil's priority is home rule for Celtic. So the article begins, Europe was once the arena where Celtic dazzled and devastated with command performances to leave fans at home and abroad breathless with excitement. Alas, those days of mesmerising brilliance are in the past as his park head men... Winners of the European Cup in 1967 tried desperately to put their game together in the Premier Division. Celtic's stay in the Cup Winners' Cup was short-lived as they were put out in the first round to Timisoara of Romania. Having had two sent off and four others booked in the game, Celtic were furious and lodged a protest against the ref. With many stating that Aberdeen are taken over in Scotland, the pressure is on for Celtic to rebuild and reshape. Manager Billy McNeil says... We are not getting enough for our efforts. We are putting a lot into our game. We are dictating matches, but we are not reaping the expected rewards. That is something we must remedy. McNeil is in his third year as manager at the club and has brought in players such as Frank McGarvey, Davy Provan, Martin McLeod and Dom Sullivan. A recent game against Aberdeen highlights Celtic's woes and they were 2-0 up and pounding the Dons before conceding two goals, falling apart and hanging on in the end for a draw. McNeil was working day and night to solve the problems, with an 18-year-old Charlie Nicholas being mentioned as a striker of breathtaking quality. Now, as a spoiler, McNeil would find the answer to his problems this season, as they went, to fi- went on to finish Champions 7 points ahead of 2nd place to Aberdeen. Uh, they would also finish then um, the win next season as well, so it was the start of a couple of years.
1: Well, impressive, that's all I would say, you know, and uh, I, I don't know what you want to add to that. The photograph is a terrific photo, and when you look at the players in the team photo, you realise the quality. Put the glasses on to get a right good look at them, Yeah, you, you realise the quality of the team that they had there. And quite a number of them uh, went on to, they, they were involved in the winning of the European Cup, because it's a really impressive Celtic team, and it's also a very impressive, uh, a very impressive uh, photograph. You know, it's brilliantly balanced. Everybody looking apart, and uh, I've got to say, wait a minute, till get a better look. I enlarge it. There it is, and, and you see, look at the staff. There's John Clark, the manager, John Clark, and uh, the guy Scott, Brian Scott, That's all. I saw a photo of Dundee United recently, and I counted sixteen staff. <laughs> I think, you know, they're not a staff member for everything, you know, for uh, taking your pulse as you, as you go into the training pitch. But that's a, that's a terrific Celtic team. And I uh, see at the end there, you know, the two guys at the end, Billy McNeil and Roy Aiken, wonderful guys. And there's wee Len- Lennox Bobby in the front uh, with no blood in his jersey,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is a change. I like to see him with blood down the front of the jersey and a young-looking Murdo McLeod from Dumbarton there sitting beside him. You know that uh, I used to pick teams when I was away with the Scottish team. At the end of a training session, I would have a fun game, eight aside, and I would do the tall against the small. I would do the married against the single. i do the old firm against the rest. I'd do the, those that have got their driving licence still and those who have lost their licence. <laughs> so I, would, I would try all the various things, and I, I tried one, which came back to haunt me. I tried the good-looking team against the ugly team. <laughs> And when I got back to Glasgow after the World Cup in Italy, a lady stopped me at the airport. I was going to my car. She said, excuse me, you Craig Brown? I said, yes. Why was my husband in the ugly team? <laughs> I said, I don't know who. What's your name? She says, Mary. I said, that's not any help. I need your surname. She says, McLeod. I said, are you Murdo's wife? She said, yes. I says, well, ugly team. Died hair, false teeth, ugly team. <laughs> so, so what? They, it tells you that they, they phone home and they say, put me in the ugly team today. <laughs> Well, I'm looking at that Celtic team and I've got to admit that that is a right good looking team and very, very, very smart. What I can't understand though, and uh, I would love to ask who's in charge. Three of them have got their arms folded and uh, and the other three at the other end beside John Clark, they've got their arms folded and at the other end, their arms are behind their back. <laughs> you know, that's a strange one. Yeah. Uh, my, my manager, Shankly, would go off his head at that.
0: Yeah, I'm a bit of you a stickler know. for that, Craig, in, in that I think with team photos, you should details like that are important because it's it's going to be the snapshot for that period in time. And I think you know, as you say, you've got three in the end folding their arms, and the other side everybody else is consistent. And I just think it it does detract from it. Obviously, it's it's not a great deal in the grand grand scheme of things, but it's noticeable.
1: Uh, but uh, you know, it's part to do with the, the disciplines, to to do with the standards.
0: So.
1: Mm. I've got this phrase that I use use when I'm doing coaching courses, the standards you set are the standards you get. Whatever you want, that's what you get. It's a small thing, but, you know, it takes a wee while to... know. I did notice it the first time I looked at the picture, photograph, but those stockings are up tidily, the same and the boots are, are uh, black boots and the laces are black. Now we used to have white laces just before that time and the laces were washed after every game so the laces had to be white but a great photograph and a great quality of footballer in the photograph too.
2: Okay,
0: so so at this point Craig we're going to jump out the magazine and we're going to do a focus on which you, you know was in the magazines but we're going to do it on yourself so there's a bunch of questions that I'm going to uh, fire towards you uh, if you just give yeah. me your answers. So first question, full name?
1: My full name is James Craig Brown and because there were so many people in Glasgow, James Brown in prison and getting drunk and being arrested, James Brown arrested again, (laughs) drunk (laughs) in Charlie, you know uh, they they took the the James away, well I'm, I'm still my full name is James Craig Brown but like they started as a youngster calling me Craig because there were so many James Browns. My grandfather was James Brown and an uncle James Brown, and it was to differentiate. So I was Craig Brown.
0: Yeah, it was something I, I I didn't know until recently. So that that's that's good to get an explanation. What's what's your where was your birthplace? It
1: was Glasgow, Corker Hill, the railwayman's village just beside Pollock in, in Glasgow, between Part and Pollock. Corker Hill, it's called. My grandfather, I was born during the war, you see, my father was away in the forces. He was in the RAF and uh, I, my mother, he was staying, we were actually staying in Volker uh, and my mother came back to stay with her parents and her father was an engine driver. So uh, we came to the railwayman's Village, which was Corker Hill. So that's where
0: I was born. Okay. What was your first car?
1: Car was a... Uh, a, a Ford Popular uh, a, a basic it a hard job keeping it uh, straight in the road that was swinging all about the place you know it was, and it wasn't a new car by any stretch of the imagination it was an old Ford Popular just two door uh, car then uh, when eventually a few years later I managed to get a, a new one when I, I tried to sign for folk and I needed a car a bit more to live I was living in Hamilton and teaching there and I was travelling to Falkirk for training I bought a, a Vauxhall Viva so i never had a flash car at any time.
0: <laughs> What's your favourite player?
1: Aye, well, David Mackay was my favourite player, without doubt. Yeah. Uh, I think there's no question of that. Arguably, you know, close quarters, you know, Baxter was as, as good a player. He was a favourite because he was, this Scottish word, he was gallus. You know, he, he would take on... He would take on uh, the English team you up at Wembley—that kind of attitude. Uh, the two, the two wingers that I had to play against when I was a left back at times, and they were brilliant. And one was Henderson, and one was Johnson. Now Willie Henderson would beat you by knocking the ball past you, and he was electric pace. But we, Jimmy Johnson, would beat you by trickery. You know, you would have to pay to get back in when you're playing against him. Uh, Johnson was so skillful. So these guys were all contemporaries of mine, but they were all wonderful players
0: Okay, Who's your favourite team? Well
1: I was brought up as a Hamilton Lackey supporter and I have a real, honestly I have a real soft spot for uh, Hamilton, but I've got to say at the moment Aberdeen's my team because you know I went up there to work to manage the team and they kept me as a director, they've now kept me as the ambassador of the club, so my favourite team I've got to admit to is Aberdeen Okay,
0: what's the most memorable match that you've been involved in? I
1: think uh, it may disappoint you to say, I think it might be the World Cup final, uh, Scotland against Saudi Arabia,
0: Youth youth
1: World Cup final. But that's not what you're wanting. I think they're wanting a a senior, you know. No,
0: no, no. Listen, if that's the answer, that's the answer.
1: To have the whole nation a, supporting a team, a Scottish team, and, and it's it's a world that there are two hundred and I think two hundred and eight or nine countries in the world, and to be in the final uh, in your own country and to play Saudi Arabia and to play as well as we did, that is a favourite game. Mm. But you know, to be to be England at uh, Wembley was was a, 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 another favourite, and we beat Germany in Germany with the national team. So uh, I'm still two other games you know, the, the <laughs> Germany and England game. and both of these games I think this is an important thing to tell you but I was looking for a coach for the Scotland on um, B team when I had the full team I was looking for a coach for the B team and I was thinking who can we get and I, I lived in the air and I was driving up past Kilmarnock and the manager of Commander was a super guy called Tommy Burns and I said I'll ask Tommy if he'll manage this team so I went in to rugby park and I said to him Tommy would you take the B team just in a one-off with friendly international against Wales. And we have got a game the same night. Tommy says, OK. So to cut the long story short, Tommy took the team. After the game, I didn't see the game because we were playing another international that night. I said to him, anybody I should put in my first team? He says, yes, definitely. I said, who? Uh, he says, hey, you should put Don Hutchison in your team. I says, no chance. He'll never get in the team. I says, we've got a midfield full of good players. You know, I, I said, we'll get McAllister. We've got McCall, we've got Lambert, we've got Collins. He'll not get a game. Why you tell me? He says, I don't mean in midfield. I know what are you telling me? He plays midfield for West Ham and for Liverpool. He says, I'm talking about up front. Try him up front, Craig. I'm telling you. (laughs) He says, I stuck him up front in the B team. And he was brilliant. Well, the rest is history. we had a friendly with Germany in Germany, and I put him up front. And we beat Germany 1-0. Who scored the goal? Don Hutchison. We had to play England in the playoff down at Wembley. And they beat England one nothing. Who scored the goal? Don Hutchison. Who told me to play him? Tommy Burns. So, I mean, I don't think if you're any, any time in your career, if you're too arrogant or too cocky or big-headed not to ask for advice, and help you're stupid and I get great help from Tommy Burns
2: I was going to ask you a wee bit about that, about that game Craig at Wembley, I remember you reading in the first leg at Hamden, I think England had Tony Adams and Martin Keown as the central defensive partnership but at Wembley it was Adams and Southgate is that right? Yes,
1: that's right, yes and uh, I, Southgate, Southgate's a, a good footballer but he was a bit softer than than Keown uh, 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 they left Keown out and they kept Adams in so I, t- I told our goalkeeper, when playing it long, put it right on top of Southgate. And Don, you just go in and abuse him. <laughs> and Don battered him. Uh, and he was, I think he had an uncomfortable night, Gareth Southgate against Hutchison, as anybody would have, because Hutchison was a big, brave, tough guy. Yeah. And they gave him a hard time. And Billy Dodds played, he was the other striker. I never, ever played a team without two strikers. Never, ever. We played quite often, 3-5-2. Uh, or it was four four two, but never I never just played one up. So you know, one of my strikers was was Dodds on that occasion, and the other one was. Uh, but the, the the best man in the park by a mile at Wembley on that occasion. Surprise you because England had guys like in midfield. They had Paul Scholes uh, in midfield. They had uh, Ince in midfield, and the best man in the park was Barry Ferguson. He was outstanding down there, and he was the youngest player on the pitch. I think he was twenty at the time.
0: Cracking player. What's the best country that you've visited? And I'm sure you have a lot to choose from.
1: Oh, it's it's impossible to. The (laughs) the best trip I've had with a team, I mentioned it earlier, was we were a month in Chile and we were on the Pacific coast in a place called Valparaiso, uh, or sometimes it's called Vina del Mar. What a beautiful location that was on the Pacific coast. And the weather was fabulous. The food was great. The tournament was terrific. It was a World Under Twenty Championship, so and it was in Chile, and I'm lucky. I've been to quite a number of the South American countries, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and of course Mexico and uh, and uh, and uh, Brazil and Argentina. I've been to a lot of these places, but uh, without doubt, Chile, Chile. The climate, the food, uh, the environment in that lovely place. I wouldn't say Santiago was a holiday venue. You know, it was a big, mm-hmm. a big bustling city. But but uh, where we were based was terrific. So I would say uh, the, uh, of the European islands, I like Cyprus. You know, you know, I, I've been to them all. Well, I've been to the Ibizas and the Majorcas and Tenerife and all these places. And, and, and you know, but the Cyprus is a, again a good climate, nice environment, and the, the, I enjoy the football in Cyprus as well.
0: Mm. So, what's your favourite food? Maybe connected. What is it? That-
1: yes. Well, I'm a wee bit. Too. Disposed to be, be, be honest, to go to an Indian and, and I'll be happy to have an Indian or a Chinese uh, food. But uh, I, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that will eat anything, you know. No, I'm not fussy in any way, but uh, you know, I like to go into an Italian restaurant song, an Indian restaurant, song, uh, as well as the, the British ones. But okay. to, to ask you for a specific favorite, I think just I'll take a fish supper any day. <laughs> that
0: do me. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show of all time?
1: Well, oh well I, I watch almost exclusively sport and the sports scene I've got to say I, I watch that consistently in Sky sports news and I think golf and sky sport in uh, sky is outstanding as well so uh, I'm, I'm not a film uh, viewer you know I'm not one for uh, watching movies I'm, I'm watch sport mainly golf and football
0: right Okay, final question. Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Oh,
1: <laughs> I think, uh, honestly, it's very difficult. I'm, I'm most fortunate. I think I've met the ones that I would like to meet. You know, that I've met you know, really lucky, the Sean Connerys and the, and the Rod Stewart's. You know, these are the guys, the Scotch guys, that uh, have given great credit to our country. And Sean Connery used to phone me after internationals. Mm-hmm. And the girls in the office thought it was a, it was a wind-up. <laughs> but it was him asking to get through just to talk about the, the game the night before. And then Rod Stewart would come and join us when we were all we, we used to practice in the USA before a World Cup or a European Championship. And then Rod would come and join the training session with us, invited us to his to his concert in the Madison Square Gardens, had the whole team up on the stage. Oh. So I mean, I, I can't think there's anyone that other the, the the one that's a contemporary of mine age-wise. I would really like to have a round of golf with Jack Nicklaus because I think he's just a gentleman and a wonderful golfer. Although, you know, we have a wonderful one in Aberdeen uh, who won the Open, Paul Laurie. Mm-hmm. But Jack Nicklaus has always been one of my heroes. And if you are asking me for someone that I haven't met that I would like to meet, I would think uh, Jack Nicklaus.
0: Okay, brilliant. Listen, I've got, I've got a few photographs I just want to we've, we've actually probably talked about a lot of them but there's a few photographs I just want to go through that aren't in the magazine so so this, this is you, a young you at Rangers.
1: That, that's the training strip, that's the Rangers training strip we had <laughs> so obviously they used an old uh, match strip for training purposes so we all were all on that uh, training strip that was taken at Ibrox
0: yeah. next one moving on this one is taken down at Inverclyde I don't know if you can spot yourself. If it helps, I've zoomed in, <laughs> and there's you in there. And it's
1: I, I, I see myself there. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, just Jeez, some no. some of the some, faces that are in there is quite incredible.
1: There, aye, yeah.
0: I see. If if, if, if we do,
1: right in the middle of the laugh is is uh, Dick Campbell. Yeah. Right in the middle, and then on his right shoulder, Kenny Cameron Kenny behind Cameron, him. Yeah. And and beside Kenny to the left at the front is Alec Miller. Yep but you know, some of them I thought, I'm not recognising. There's two guys there I'm sitting, and I don't know who I'm sitting beside. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that's Jim Fleeting down in the front there. Yeah, it is. And then Andy Rocks up the side, up the right-hand side.
0: It's a great photo. Uh, I mean, you could spend, you could spend, so, I mean, just up oh, the top and, left. I can see Tony Fitzpatrick yeah. up the top left. and
1: These were great times we had down there. we were thoroughly enjoyable. And, and uh, you know, and I'm to come of foreign guys that keep in touch with us. You know, so we're fortunate, but... <laughs> Did I see Bill Monroe up the back row with a red top? Is that Bill Monroe? I don't, the I don't
0: think that's Bill. Um, I don't know if he's in there. I'll I'll, I'll give it a, a closer look later on, no, but no, it's, I don't think. so but,
1: but, but Bill Monroe, because I think that's
0: Donald Park beside him in the green. Right. Yeah. I'll will send it on to this on to you anyway, and you can you can look at it. Um. So, so next one, Hammy and the Hamsters. There we are.
1: <laughs> there we go.
0: Well, what a good looking bunch.
1: The back row from Kenny Carmen Alex Stewart Malik Hamilton and Hugh Robertson, myself.
0: Uh, so so what, what was the format behind it? Were you all singers or was it musicians? Was it a backing band that you played to? Well,
1: Hammy was, Hammy was a pianist right. and played the piano. And we, nowadays, clubs go to, in the winter break, they go to Dubai or they go to uh, La Manga or somewhere like that. Dundee, in the the time when I was there, they used to go to Pitlochry, (laughs) or Creef, and we'd go to a hotel in Creef Hydro or Pitlochry Hotel, uh, Fisher's Hotel, and it was boring because it was black and white television, and uh, so what would the boys do at night? You know, they weren't allowed out, so we'd get round the piano, and there was a grand piano, and and, uh, the the Beatles were big time at that time, and so we would sing, Can't Buy Me Love, and you know the Beatles stuff, and Hammy would play the piano, and we'd all be singing, and there were some old dears there. It was a kind of care home as well, <laughs> the Fishers Hotel. So the old dears, one of us had a son who was the band leader in Dundee, in the, in the GM ballroom. It was, his name was Johnny Battersby, I remember that. And she said, my son would love to hear you. So when he's singing next? And I didn't know. Hamid said, oh, we'll sing whatever you want us to sing. Yeah. When your son comes, we'll get the, the boys together. So we he heard this, and he says, well, "That'd be brilliant in the dance hall at Dundee at night, on the Saturday night after your game." <laughs> He'd come in and <laughs> sing a few. So we sang a few of the Beatles. Then he wrote us. He wrote us a couple of songs, and they, they, these are the two that we recorded. And it actually went well. We were in the cup final in 1963, Dundee against Rangers, and and of course before the cup final, we were selling so it was top of the charts in Scotland. <laughs> uh, my dream came true. It was called. Yeah, I think you'll get it in YouTube still. Or
0: mm. I'll need to. I'll need to give it a listen. So next one. So this is your time at Motherwell.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good team. That's Wally Pettigrew sitting next to me. A good team, and it's amazing. One goalkeeper, and, and they're they're smart. Their hands are their hands are behind their back. <laughs> <laughs> but you see again, there's the staff. There's there's just Wally McLean and myself. And two trainers, trainer for the reserves, John Hunter, and the trainer, William McKenzie, on the first team. And that was your lot. And uh, that was a good team, that little team. Celtic came in the Scottish Cup with Steen, the manager, Kenny Douglas playing, and we beat them at first part in the Cup final. And uh, I don't see any Clyde Bank connection there, is there? No, I don't see him. So Colin so. McAdam, he's Dumbarton. Yeah. He's beside the goalie in the middle, big fella. And John McVay, ex-Clyde. Ali Hunter's a goalkeeper. And on either side of them, two big fellas, Colin McAdam and John McRae. I'm looking at the rest; I don't see
0: any other. I love, I love Craig up, up the top left-hand corner. It's Alex Spark who looks as though Hi. something funny's happening. Mean, you know, you're talking about how you need to, you know, do a team photo, right? What I love is he's laughing. He's the only one who's laughing, and next to his name in the list, it says contract cancelled. So it actually says that, it says that, and I'm wondering if it's related to the team photo at all. Maybe does it,
1: does it say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, a, it's a very yeah. strange thing to, to put in a team photo. Aye,
1: but... I see it, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> that because they let him go. He came up from England and he was a stone overweight, at least. Uh, so, Willie McLean was an intolerant manager. Oof. He was crabbit as anything. and uh, I'm, I'm just looking at any other good players. Pettigrew sit sitting beside me. Yeah, Bobby Graham beside him. Joe Ward. Uh, Maranello. Maranello, yeah. Peter Miller with the blonde hair behind me. He could get the tackles. And Gregor Stephen, yeah. Rough, tough. not we, oh, you know, when I look at how there were some hard men there. Joe Ward was a hard man. And I'm uh, looking along. Who else? Pat, G- Pat Gardner, good player,
0: behind me. Was Park That was he done United?
1: Yes, that's right. Stuart McLaren was probably the hardest one. He's behind Billy McLaren. He's standing beside the trainer. Stuart McLaren. Oof. <laughs> a lovely man.
0: Okay, see if I've got another. This one is from a little later on, and it's Scotland what now? So this is just before you get the Scotland role, and it's looking at all the, the candidates. So Andy Roxburgh's on his way, and you're up there with Kenny Douglas, George Graham, Graham Souness, Alex Ferguson, Walter Smith, Joe Jordan and Gordon Strachan. And let's see Mm. what it says about you. It says, who is this man, Craig Brown? The question on most people's lips when Craig Brown was named as temporary success to Roxburgh was, Craig who? (laughs) But if Brown gets good results in the remaining World Cup games against Italy and Malta, everyone will know who he is. Because if he does the business in those matches, he will almost certainly be given the job full time. And Brown insists that he shouldn't be written off simply because he doesn't have a big name profile. I'll put my heart and my soul into the job, he promises. I want it and I would be honoured to be in charge of the national team. Uh, Brown has made his name over the years working with the Scotland youth and under-21 teams and has an impressive record. He led the under-16s to the World Cup final in 1989. The under-19s to the last day of the World Cup two years ago. And it's that sort of pedigree which could well earn him the biggest prize in Scottish football and the rest is history.
1: I didn't think I was going to get the jobs, to be honest. In I'm sure I wouldn't, because you see the names that they were. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think, you know, having been asked by Alec Ferguson to go on the staff uh, to Mexico was uh, a bonus for me, because that, the, the trip to Mexico was very good and well controlled, and because Alec was there, obviously. Well, in fact, we we're in New Mexico before it was. We we're staying in a place called Santa Fe for, for nearly two weeks, twelve days, preparing altitude training. Well, they could see I got on very well with the, with the the players, and the training sessions were good, so they were happy. They, I wouldn't do anything different. I tell you, but I was really. I'm the luckiest guy in, in football. That's lasted as long and been uh, with good people and good teams. So, I mean, I'm just very, very fortunate. I've never said, said it. Other than that, I don't think I, 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 I merited getting the, the breaks I got. But uh, when I got them, I tried to honour them and do the best I could. So, the only thing I haven't done is manage the bankage.
0: <laughs> Still time. Still time. Still time for Still
1: time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But well, we didn't really to speak about you. I, I assume you are a very good working relationship with Andy at Oxborough for all those years. I've
1: uh, gone well with him. I think when, when you've got a colleague in football, you know, if you've got a job and you appoint what they all would say, an assistant or an assistant manager, I think if you're personally friendly with that individual, it's a very, very big help. You yeah. know, if, if the likes of what I'm quite excited at the prospect of the Scott Brown coming to Aberdeen because he's personally friendly with the new manager, right? With Thank Stephen Glass. You. Now, if he didn't know Stephen Glass and he'd just been appointed as a very good player at Celtic and a motivator, et cetera, et cetera, I would have been saying well, that's a good appointment. But I think the fact that they're personally friendly makes it a great appointment because you know, there'll, there'll, there'll be no breaking in, you know, there'll be no, well there'll, there'll be disagreement yeah. I I imagine, but it won't be uh, there. Won't be violent arguments and things like that. Now the personal friendly bit I think is very important in football for a colleague, and I think anyone will tell you that if you're looking for a for a, an assistant or a colleague in the staff, somebody with whom you're friendly, it'll go much better. It, it, you know. I think, and, and usually there are lasting friendship and there's usually successful ones. You know, when I think, you know, Arsene Wenger, who was, uh, they had the same assistant. I'm trying to remember his name for a long, long time. Oh, should, should,
0: uh,
1: Pat Rice. Pat Rice, Pat, that's right, Pat Rice, for ages and ages. And then, you know, you had the uh, Derby County, you had Clough and Taylor, you know, and, and Alec Ferguson was, he had quite a number of assistants at yeah. Manchester United, but he had, no- Knox was his name. Man at Aberdeen and Manchester, you know they, they and, and Walter Smith and not they, they kind of go as a pair. So uh, I think you know Jock Steen and Sean Fallon. Uh, I think the pairing is important, and the, and the, then the, the players don't see any divisiveness. They don't try and play one against the other. They know they can't do that. I used to say to the players, "Don't say anything to me. that You don't want me to say to the to the man. if I'm the assistant, uh, you don't want me to say to the manager." Now I was the assistant i to Wally McLean and I was the assistant with the Scottish team with Andy Roxford. I was one of the assistants with Alec Ferguson and I would say to them, don't, don't say something to me that you want me not to say to the manager because mm-hmm. my first loyalty is to him, not to you. You know, there are players that tell you something that, that they would want you, the manager to get that information but uh, if they know that you were loyal to the manager, they wouldn't give you any gossip, you know, any crap.
0: Back into the magazine but we're on the back page now and we're going to have a quick look at focus on since we've done one with yourself let's have a look at asa hartford's focus on uh, everton so richard asa hartford again we, do we know the story why he was called asa did you know that story craig no no i don't uh, the story is that his, his parents or at least his dad was um a big al jolson fan and al jolson's real name was asa and so that's oh, how right. he got the name oh, asa right.
1: It's a very distinctive name. I like it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I know why you're. I know why you
0: highlighting him because <laughs> the no place it's played by. <laughs> I mean, it's just a. It's accident. These things are pure coincidence. And I, aye. I, well, I, I, right. <laughs> so do we, do we? want to pick out any any answers from there, Tom? Favorite activity on a day off? Yeah, day no, of the, the races. Day of the races. Yeah. Let's see. Biggest influence on career: Stuart Williams, a coach at West Brom, born in Clydebank, obviously. Uh, favorite newspaper. Daily Mail Right, okay We can move on from that Favourite player John Robertson Yeah, he was a great player uh, well, That's good Favourite hero of childhood Dennis Law That's uh, that's good as well Golf, tennis and squash His most difficult opponents Are, are quite um, substantial as well Billy Bremner and Alan Ball That's two pretty good names To yeah. have in there As, as exactly. opponents Okay, so listen, we've, we've got to the end of the magazine, and just like to say a, a big thank you for for taking us through that and all the chat, Craig. What's what's going on with you? What what are you up to at the moment? Do you have any any projects on or doing anything?
1: No, I'm I'm, I'm well. I'm happily retired because you know you know what age I'm. So you know <laughs> you know that at my age, I'm lucky to be alive, right? And I'm, I'm I'm the club ambassador at Aberdeen. Which gets me to every Aberdeen game, you know, in the director's box at every game, mm. uh, home and away. And I'm required uh, for duties, you know, particularly, not so much now because the hospitals are not, but if there's a, a, a former player or a long standing supporter in hospital, I'll phone them or visit them. I'll uh, go and watch the Midnight League football. I'll go and watch the uh, youth teams, you know, um, anything where they're looking for. You know the disabled group. You know a patron of Scottish disability sport. So uh, Aberdeen have a disabled team. The, the, the champions in Scotland of wheelchair football are Clyde. Would you believe? Mm. <laughs> so the Clyde are the top team. They're representing Scotland. There's a European Cup coming up, and uh, but I think it'll be delayed now because of the pandemic. But you know. My involvement in football is just—I you know, have nothing to do with the team. You know, I don't have anything to do. With it. If the manager asks me, you know, this player or that player, I'll tell him. But I, I don't go and offer my services. I might take a an, an odd session with the uh, youth team. You know, take a wee coaching session with them. So I'm really I'm the ambassador that the the staff, the youth coaching staff, can say to me: What would you do here? What would you do? Do you mind? doing this or doing that with them and I'm happy to do it because you know I'm I'm very fortunate, I'm I'm well looked after by the club, I'm I'm driving their car, I'm phoning their phone, things like that so you know Aberdeen Football Club has been very kind to me and hopefully I'm returning the favour.
0: Excellent. No, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I could, I could listen to you even longer, but. I, I, yeah, it's been great, Craig.
2: It's been yeah, a real
1: delight. Well, I'm sorry, I, I am a bit long winded when I start. No,
0: not at
2: me. all.
1: But, but uh, I'll talk to you anytime. You give me a call, I'll be pleased to uh, tell I'll, you. About I'll have you
2: back on again if you'll come back on again, Craig. Absolutely. I, I'll,
0: I'll come
1: back on, and, and,
2: and but I, I think uh, you'll be bored
1: listening to that again. I think. <laughs> but, uh,
0: <laughs> I tell you what, we'll get you on to go through the second half of the magazine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anytime, just give me give me a shout and I'll be there. That's okay. great.
0: No, listen, That's thank fun. you very much. I really appreciate uh, you yeah, taking the your time.
1: Your time. I, I, I want to say to both of you that you, I've, I've done so many of these podcasts, but I've never known guys as well prepared as yourselves. And thank you. you know, it's it's really a pleasure to talk to you when you know what you've talked about and you're you're knowledgeable. So thank you very much. Brilliant. Okay.
0: That, that means a lot. Thank thanks you so much. Take <laughs> care.
1: Cheers, guys. Thanks. All the best. Bye best. Good night.
0: Night. So thank you very much to Craig Brown again there for being our guest. And as always, I'd like to thank Tom for being Tom.
2: Thank you, Andy, for being Andy and Scott's Footy Cars on Twitter.
0: And thank you, everyone, for, for li- listening to the podcast, for joining in. Um, I'm, I very much hope you enjoyed the episode there with Craig. We all did. We'd like to say a special thank you to Pete Wiley of The Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on... PeteWiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. We'd also like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for her great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clydebank. Our charity partner this season is the West Bartonshire Community Food Share. This is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. A school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community in supporting individuals and families, and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers we will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on the West Dunbartonshire Community Foodshare group on Facebook or WestDunbartonshireCommunityFoodShare.co.uk for the website. And that's West Dunbartonshire with an N. You can also donate through our Just Giving page for the charity, at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash shoot the breeze, one word. Also, keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at underscore podcast and at Scott's footy cards for updates and news on our charity partner. So, until the next time, let's shoot the breeze.